Welcome to Video Store. My name is Sam Mulberry. Today we are talking about the 2000 film In the Mood for Love. So let's step into Barrett Fisher's Video Store. Barrett, how you doing? I'm doing great, Sam. Barrett, I am so excited to talk about this movie. Um, this is one that I, I had seen before, so we'll talk a little bit about that. But before we get to my history, what is your history with this film? Yeah, um, I saw it. As far as I recall, I saw it in the theater. Um, so it, I so I know it's been a long time. Uh, and that's about it. I saw it in the theater. Um, I was impressed by it, but I've never been back to it since. So it's been uh, almost 23 years. Was Wong Kar Wai somebody that was on your radar at that point? Or was this yeah. a... Is this the first thing you'd seen from him? Or I don't think so. That, that's a really good question. I've been trying to remember. I'm pretty sure that I had some point had seen Chungking Express. So I, I knew who he was. But I to be honest, I remember almost nothing of that film at all. But yeah, I, I, I vaguely knew, knew of him when I saw it. So what was the draw? What was the draw to see this in 2000 then? Uh, I think it was just great reviews. You know, I mean, it, it was a movie that, um, I mean, we should talk a little bit about this. It's really odd because this was a movie that did very well at the box office. Um, but it's very, um, it's very different from a typical romantic story. But yeah, it got great reviews. And, you know, um, I'm always up for a foreign film. Yeah. I will say this is one of the first things I watched when I got the criterion channel mm. uh, because I started to go to look at the 2012 sight and sound list. And I was curious because there were two movies from the 21st century on that list. There was mm. um, David Lynch's Mulholland drive at 28. And this was at 24, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just, I was sort of blown away that something that recent, you know, within 12 years of coming out, people are saying this, this is legitimately one of the great films of all time. And not only, and it's not like it just made it onto the list. It was in mm-hmm. the top 25 on that list. So um, that was that was my, my reason for watching it. I don't think I knew anything about mm-hmm. what it was going to be about, anything about Wong Kar Wai. Um, but I just thought, well, I, I need to see this thing that's that recent, but is already kind of canonized. Um, and I uh, was pretty blown away by it. So this is probably maybe a year, year and a half ago. Um, and it was pretty amazing to watch this again um, at one level to be like, wow, I, I already, the thing, the thing that I remembered about it the first time was mostly the visuals and the, mm-hmm. and the music. Like I remember it, the, the, the music drops, they're, they're not the music drops, the, there's two kind of core songs in this. There's more than that, but there's two. And then visually, like, I think I remembered the color. It's almost like remembering a painting. It's like, I remember the, the rich, like warm, all the colors are really, really warm. Um, I think if you watched this movie um, regularly and were painting, this movie would affect the way that you paint it. I mean, I, I, I can say as somebody who spent a lot of time painting, especially in college, like mm-hmm. you get affected by the other things around you. This would turn your color palette up so much warmer because, uh, you know, and it almost reminds me of... Um, this is a, maybe a weird connection, but it reminds me of what uh, Spike Lee and Ernest Dickerson do and do the right thing where like there is just this like I can feel a temperature from this movie, mm. uh, kind of a heat and a humidity um, in the same way you can with uh, with do the right thing. So, so I, mean, I think that was my takeaway from seeing this, you know, uh, a year and a half ago. I should, should be should say what I remembered from it. Uh, this revisit, uh, I absolutely fell in love with this movie. Um, 
is this movie indicative of like what Wong Kar Wai's movies are like? I just haven't seen anything else from him. Yeah, that that that's a really interesting question, Sam. And um, and I'm going to answer it based more on reading about uh, the earlier movies in his career rather than remembering them uh, or having seen them. No, it, it really was kind of a departure for him in terms of the. Um, the kind of slowness of the film, the emphasis, the the kind of formal elements of it. Yeah, he worked has worked most of his career with one cinematographer, um, Christopher Doyle, who uh, does a lot of cinematography for Asian films. And and Doyle's camera tends to be fairly kinetic. There tends to be a lot of movement, and um, so his earlier films are much more uh, they're they're much busier and uh, and expressive. And so this was kind of a departure for him. And in, in some ways, it. It was. It's almost like. It's almost like if you look at what happened to his career after this, it's almost like he reached. I wouldn't say a dead end, but sort of an apex. I mean, I think of this in a way as being kind of his version of Red, except he didn't stop making films. He's continued, and he really hasn't had quite the same success. Uh, so this this was really a kind of um, both a departure for him and a kind of. Uh, fruition at the same time. He ended up working with two different cinematographers because the shot took 15 months. Um, and yet what's interesting is you really can't tell when it shifts from uh, from Christopher Doyle uh, to the uh, the second cinematographer, Ping Bin, Ping Bin Lee, who's also a very, uh, a very important cinematographer. Um, on the Criterion channel, there's a... Um, a 50 minute film that he made as part of an anthology called the hand. Uh, and it's interesting to watch it because he clearly is replicating the style of in the mood for love. Uh, so it's as though he kind of found a new, a, a new, a new approach. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, I mean, this is, this is the a mid-career movie for for Wong Kar Wai. Like he, mm-hmm. uh, when I think about, you know, as we've talked about filmmakers often, like, you think about the, the that sort of peak moment is either really early on because they're getting all of their ideas out or there is this mm. sense that they have built to something so it's interesting that this uh if you look at his filmography this is really kind of right in the right in the middle of that yeah. um yeah and i and, and i have watched uh 2046 which is uh sort of a sequel uh i think he wanted maggie chung to be in it but she just she couldn't afford another 15 months of her life um i don't remember to be honest even though i've seen it i don't remember much about 2046 but it's kind of a kind of a loose trilogy that he created well it sounds like as he his his filmmaking uh process and you you i mean you alluded to the length of time um this movie doesn't necessarily looks like look like it needs to have a a extremely prolonged shoot i mean in some ways i guess it does but um but partially has to do with his um his filmmaking style of letting the uh kind of working with the actors and and, and almost a not exactly kind of improvis improvisatory to a certain degree where where they're sort of finding the movie as they're making it yeah it's a it's a little bit you know to make a connection to a filmmaker we watched uh, several months ago it's a little bit like mike lee um although actually he he has even less than lee lee well i guess they're similar they both go in with kind of a with a with a basic story or basic idea and then they just kind of let it unfold and uh one thing that happened in his career was he was unable to shoot in china at one point because the chinese authorities required a script to be submitted and he didn't have a script to give them and the irony of that is earlier in his career he was in fact a script writer um but one 
One critic describes this method as aleatory, which I really enjoy because I learned a new word. Uh, aleatory simply means doing things by chance. Comes from a Latin word for dice. So, so there's a lot of there's a lot of improvisation. But one of the reasons why this was a long shoot was because he basically shot the movie twice. He he shot it in Hong Kong. And because he was shooting in Hong Kong in the late 90s, and it didn't look a lot like Hong Kong of 62, that's why so much of the film is interior. And then they went to Bangkok, and he discovered that Bangkok looked more like Hong Kong in the 60s than Hong Kong does now. So then they reshot a lot of it. So, so the exterior stuff is, is, is Bangkok. And the interior stuff is Hong Kong. So that's one of the reasons why the shoot was so long, because he ended up uh, kind of doing the film twice. Well, and, and it, you know, I, I like that, I, that that notion of like leaving certain things to chance, because even the end of this film, you know, in, in part uh, ends the way it does, because he kind of needed to rush it to can. And mm. this film has one of the great endings of all time. It's such a great <laughs> ending. But part of it is like, well, we have to we have to get this wrapped up. We're in Cambodia. Let's let's shoot this scene at uh, Anchor Wat. And it's like, that's mm. I, I just I can't imagine a more perfect ending. And the thought that it was, you know, kind of what they had in the moment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I, I would say, OK, so as I'm thinking about this movie, the, the thing that, that 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 I want to say, and I've already hinted at this is in in multiple ways i think this is one of the most beautiful things i've ever seen Mm -hmm. Um, and i mean beauty in in lots of ways so we talked about sort of the color and the lighting really quickly um now one thing that came to mind as i was thinking about this is i started to think about orson welles in black and white it's (laughs) like i i I buy all of that uh there's so many like beautiful crisp black and white films but my response would be in the mood for love it's like but sometimes Mm -hmm colors would like i i can't imagine this movie in black and white like like having this that 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 uh that same impact um another way that i find this movie beautiful uh uh maggie chung and tony lung might just be the most beautiful human beings i've seen in a movie like <laughs> there is something so because str- this this movie spends so much time on their faces and uh and their their physical movements, their bodies. And it's just like, mm-hmm. it, it's, it is, it's so beautifully shot and they are such beautiful object is a weird word to say, but such beautiful objects on the screen to, to look at. Yeah. No, that's a really good point that so much of the acting is, is physical. Um, it's, it's really Maggie Chung pointed out in one of the interviews that, you know, it's really not a film with a lot of dialogue. It's really, it's really a film about striking I mean, striking poses makes it sound sound different. Not exactly what I mean, but yeah, it's just it's just what goes on with the tilt of the head or the way you 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 uh, you lean against somebody or lean away from somebody. Um, it's yeah, it, they really are acting uh, very much with their bodies, and I fully agree with what you said about about this could not be a black and white film. And there is a beauty about the color in this film. And I would also point out, however, interestingly enough, that. One of the things that is really striking in this film and is usually seen as most striking in black and white is the cigarette smoke. Uh, the scenes of the cigarette smoke, the way that is lit, um, that is every bit as evocative. Because that, that's often one of the arguments about black and white. Like cigarette smoke looks best in black and white. And sometimes that's an argument made about rain as well. You know, the and I think the way this film uses rain uh, is it's gorgeous. The way the way it glistens, and so I I fully and and also this is shot on on celluloid, not on, not on video, and I think that also has part. 
uh, has something to do with why the the colors really pop the way they do. So we want to say about, uh, you know, you mentioning there's not a lot of dialogue in this movie. And I just I mostly want to say this because I don't want to forget to say it later. It is interesting because this is a movie that is so much about sort of subtlety and unsaid things that you're reading at the same time they really talk about stuff to, like, like like when they get to dialogue there it's like they don't skirt around like when he has the conversation about um you know do you ever think about your life if you weren't married you know what would it be like and she says you know maybe happier mm-hmm. and it's like well so they are they do like at the same time they they obviously talk about things too i find that so interesting because mm-hmm. so much of what i read was about subtle and unsaid things but when i watched it a second time i realized I, it felt that way but they're also he's also being obvious mm-hmm. to you too which i which i and i mean that as a compliment it's kind mm-hmm. of brilliant in that way another way this movie's beautiful the uh the style of it the the clothes the music the set design i am not somebody who i have no interest in fashion but if you told me that at mia or even the chicago institute of art that they had a uh exhibit of all of uh mrs chan's dresses i would go to that i would go to (laughs) i would drive to chicago to see that because that stuff is just it just sort of blows me away and the sort of specificity of it um both i mean especially in terms of her dresses and her dresses play such an important role here um because we're going to talk about kind of the what he's doing with time and i realized the second time i watched this like to pay attention to what dress she's wearing because sometimes you think you're watching one scene and you realize oh this is like three separate occasions because and the only thing indicating that is she's wearing a different dress um so like that stuff is so so amazing yeah, I, I confess, Sam, I, I kept pausing it. Uh, not I, Several times I paused it and say, wait a minute, does the dress change? Is this is this the same day or the same place? Yeah, you're right. I mean, the, the dresses are, are are so significant. I want to go back and say one more thing, though, about music and dialogue. Um, I was watching this film and my wife was kind of in and out of the room. And about the third time she came in, she said, do they ever talk? <laughs> <laughs> All I ever hear is music whenever I walk I walk in the room. But but you're right. I think I think it does a nice job of both being restrained and yet at the same time when there is conversation, uh, it's very economical. Uh, there, there's really no there's no chit chat. Everything is very. I mean, this is a film. We could also talk about the length of this film. This is a film which is the right length. All right. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just the pacing and all that. It's is great. Um, her dresses. The other interesting thing I want to say about the dresses is that the, the dresses fit into a grander design as well. It's like often they kind of rhyme with the wallpaper. Um, or the most obvious scene, of course, is when she goes to the hotel. And she's got that red dress that is exactly the same color as. Mm-hmm. as the, I mean, that hotel is kind of out of David Lynch in in, in my mind. The man. I'm so glad you said that. I wrote in my notes. Did Lynch design this hallway with That's the red drapes? It does look like it does look like the red curtain in uh, in, in Twin Peaks, doesn't it? Yeah. So, uh. Uh, other set design things that I that I loved was you know was and, and you know and this goes again back to sort of specificity like when you look at the hallway between the two apartments and like the chipped paint on the, you know, and it, and, you know, and you get these momentary sort of close-ups as somebody's knocking on a door and, and just the, like this, this, I mean, this is so, so Wong Kar Wai as a child moves from Shanghai to, to Hong Kong. And mm-hmm. this is, is in some ways, 
um, recreating the world of his childhood in the sixties in Hong Kong. Mm. Um, and like, I, there's moments where it's like, I know, I assume I shouldn't say, I know, I assume he's thinking about things like, what does that door frame look like? And we're going to show it up close. And like, this isn't everything is everything looks perfect. There's a certain worn quality to, um, to these apartments and, and definitely like a crowded quality to these apartments. I would also point out, you know, to connect him to a couple of other filmmakers. I also think that the way he treats interiors and interior spaces is very much like Ozu. Uh, and in fact, there's one specific shot of the slippers, uh, the empty slippers, which seems to me to be a homage to the scene in Ozu in the spa where the couple's shoes are outside the door. Um, he's also another another filmmaker I would compare him with in terms of his interest in architecture, uh, somebody we haven't watched yet, but Antonioni. Uh, and that's somebody that uh, he has cited as kind of an influence on this film. But, you know, to what you to your point early on, there's a there's a a, um, um, a close up as she's leaving the apartment. Her hand just kind of rests briefly on that yellow door jam. And it's. I think it's there for exactly the reason that you're 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 pointing out, Sam. It's just like these are this is his childhood. These are interior spaces that mean something to him, and he just wants to kind of uh, validate space and time. You know, we we talked about that one of our, one of our earlier broadcasts. Uh, I think when we talked about Jindiman, that you know, space and time are these fundamental elements of the world that filmmaking sometimes ignores in favor of plot. Uh, whereas he's really interested in these characters being in this specific space in a specific time, because so much of the, the mode of the film is really retrospective. It's really about, uh, memory, uh, and, and how do things look in memory as opposed to how do things look kind of objectively? Well, and it's, it's interesting because the, the, I guess he's not, I'm, I don't know how we could what we consider. I mean, he's not a filmmaker exactly, but the 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 piece of visual art that I felt most connected to is actually what I think is the greatest television show of all time. Which is like I kept thinking about Mad Men as I watched this. Oh yeah, yeah. And then I so saw there was a point where I was like, okay, I have to find out. Like, does Matthew Weiner did he ever like the creator showrunner of Mad Men? Hmm. Did he ever write anything about Wong Kar Wai or talk about him in interviews? Turns out he's a huge Wong Kar Wai fan, and I was like, well, obviously, <laughs> Mad Men. It, he is taking in the mood for love and saying okay let's think about what do i love about this and for weiner he's setting it in the world of his father and you know advertising in the the 1960s and it's there there is so much i was i was trying to talk to my wife about this movie and i said that that was my like elevator pitches it's like uh so let's start with thinking about mad men and then saying okay now it is this movie and i so and i gave her a little bit of the setup and she's like well that sounds like a great movie and i said it is a great movie <laughs> as it turns out you know and, and actually if we th you think about sort of similarities with that i mean you have they're both 1960s period pieces they're about worlds in transition people who are in transition sort of political transition which um, you know, you get little, little hints about, um, and if you, if you, you know, read more about kind of the, the geopolitics, colonial, post-colonial things going on in Southeast Asia, like mm -hmm. that, that's, that's a piece of this, yeah. um, society is in transition, sort of gender expectations in transition, people in transition and, and, and Weiner is somebody else who has this sort of hyper specific attention to details and especially period details and i feel like that's that's one of the things that again i didn't live in hong kong in the 1960s but there's just moments where you feel like 
I bet Wong Kar Wai spent a lot of time saying we need to get this wallpaper right. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. like because that's because that's the stuff as a child that you that you gets locked into your head. Yeah, and it's it, and it's one of the reasons why you get the uh, the songs by Nat King Cole. Um, Juan Carl Wise said that was on the radio all the, all the time. And, uh, and of course it's wonderful because he also chooses songs that are thematically connected to the action. So for example, the song, perhaps, 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 right. Which is a great commentary on the relationship that, that we're watching though. If we don't speak Spanish, we may not know exactly that's what, uh, Nat King Cole is saying. Uh, and so it's also, again, um, there's a reason why the film is called In the Mood for Love, because everything about this film, whether it's the soundtrack or the or or the uh the, the color scheme, it's uh or or the shots, it's all about creating a particular kind of mood uh that that comes together. Right. And that touches on the last reason why I think this is one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen is the story itself is so beautiful and painful. Mm. Um this is for some reason, ever since I was a small child, I have always been drawn to and wonderfully repelled by stories of like unrequited love. Like, oh, yes. like I'm drawn to, but they're, they, they, and why I say repelled by, because I find them so deeply painful, but mm-hmm. I love them. But mm-hmm. like, but, but I, I, and I don't know why I have this like emotional, I don't, my life story does not match this. <laughs> uh, but like, like, man, this, this this movie just hits me perfectly uh and 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 hits me at sort of different points in my life thinking about how these types of stories have sort of cut me to the core um so 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 it's it's sort of beautiful on on all of these levels and what i love about it um you know as we're talking about some of these the 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 detaily things and um you know i hinted at some of the kind of political things like as i was reading about this movie it became very clear if you knew a lot about the political situation in Southeast Asia in the 1960s, particularly you knew about Hong Kong, like that this movie takes on all of these other levels Mm. at the same time. If you don't know anything about that, nothing is diminished from this movie. Mm -hmm. Like like it works entirely as this story you're watching without necessarily understanding those other pieces. And that that's one of the things that I, that I, that I really thought was amazing about this is sometimes there are movies that we've watched where I would have my first viewing. I'm like, I think this is good, but I, there, I feel like there's things I'm missing. And then I'll go read about it and watch it again and realize, Oh, this there's all this going on. This movie doesn't require that of you. But if you put that in, you all of a sudden start to realize there are some of these other things going on. One of the, uh, one of the critics I read said he had watched the film five times and was still discovering new things about it. Um, so as a, as a film about unrequited love, I'm going to connect it to a couple of other films that we've watched. And first of all, I'll mention your favorite film, one of your favorite films, The Third Man. Uh, the end of The Third Man is a great evocation of unrequited love. Uh, and, and you could also say that in a sense, this movie takes kind of the opposite approach to 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 red because i think about the end of red where those characters have never come together and yet you see they're about to come together whereas here you have these characters who are always trying to come together but never actually can um and you know and wankar Wai said you know movies about adulterous affairs can be very cliche and predictable and boring uh and that's what i love about what he does about this because it's not only that it's an unrequited love but it's it's it, it's love which is and isn't requited at the same time. So, you know, one of the really uh, notable aspects of this film, which obviously we'll talk about, is 
the the scenes between the two characters where you don't discover until a while into the scene that they are speaking not as themselves, but as their spouses. But at the same time, they may be saying things that they really feel about each other, even though they mask it as speaking as spouses. So, for example, the breakup scene. So, you know, the, the, the third and the longest of these scenes, um, it's both about the spouses breaking up, but it's also about about them breaking up. And then, of course, for him, as he says, I didn't expect to fall in love. So the film is also about what it means to, I mean, it's a film about acting, right? What what does it mean to act? And what's the difference between acting something and pretending to be something and actually being something? So in that sense, the film is also a kind of meta commentary on filmmaking. Well, and and perhaps a meta commentary on Wong Kar Wai's filmmaking methods, Mm -hmm. because when they, the first thing that you see them really play act is when they're walking home from the restaurant once they've when they've kind of discovered like oh okay Mm. i i had this suspicion but now it's confirmed and you see the scene play out twice and they're trying to decide how it Mm -hmm. started you know and this becomes this thing where he says at the end like that's all i wanted at the beginning that's all i wanted to know and he's and 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 then by the end when they've clearly fallen in love he says well now i know now Mm -hmm. i know how these things start um but but there is this great moment when they don't just rehearse and act these things out, but they'll stop and say, no, that's not right. Like, that's not how it would have worked. My mm-hmm. husband wouldn't do that. My wife. And in, in essence, I assume there are moments where these actors are like, actually, my character wouldn't do that. Now, you know, now that we're in this, that's that's not true to what we're doing. Let's let's run it back and let's try it this other way. You know, like like it, like I, I feel like we're actually see, potentially seeing uh, Wong Kar Wai's process in those scenes. Yeah. And, and 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 it's also about um, kind of the mystery of knowing people, right? So 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 you know, in in their exploration of you know trying to figure out you know would my husband act this way or why did my wife act that way? It, it's this kind of double game they're playing, right? Where they're trying to understand their spouse, but they're also trying to understand each other at the same time. And so he's really getting at that kind of mystery of how how we understand other people and even how we understand each other and um, how difficult it is sometimes to um, uh, to grasp why certain emotions are being felt either by yourself or by other, by other people. So I think that's where the, a lot of the complexity of the film is because um, it, the complexity is, is, a, is, a, is, uh, is an emotional, not just an intellectual complexity. Well, and it's interesting because you talked about the, the, the last scene of these rehearsals where the, the sort of the breakup scene, and I read that entirely differently. Mm-hmm. I didn't think they were rehearsing their spouses breaking up. I thought they were like, well, we are now accustomed to rehearsing our lives <laughs> because so I thought they were, I thought they were actually on their face rehearsing mm-hmm. him leaving. And it, mm-hmm. I mean, it doesn't matter. Right. But, but like, but that I mean, when, especially the second time through, I was just like, at this point, they're already like preparing themselves for this. And, and maybe even the, facade of acting out our 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 spouse's infidelity is no longer there but but yeah like like it it hits and every time they break the reality of that and sort of in the moment the viewer realizes what's happening it hits like a hammer mm. you know like when you see her confronting her husband about our do you have a mistress and then you realize oh she's not talking to her husband but but w- what she says is is so powerful, which is she says like I didn't expect it to hurt this much, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. even though she hasn't done it yet. <laughs> she's only talking to to him. <laughs> she's only talking to Chow. Like like that 
is also maybe the power of of uh, performance as well, or that that allows you to come to emotional realities, even if it's not in the actual real moment. Well, well, Sam, doesn't that exactly reflect what you were saying earlier about how you feel when you watch such films? Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, it's it's like, um, why do we respond to these images on a screen? as if they were are real, but in fact we do, right? So we actually have genuine emotions in the face of something that, that's artificial. And so they're kind of acting that out for us as well. So again, it's another way in which this is a film in a sense, which is about, about they, they are each other's actors. They're each other's art. And at the same time, they respond to each other as, as real. Mm-hmm. One, of, one of the moments that I, I love in this film uh, is this is pretty early in the movie. Um, Mrs. Chan is talking with her boss and her boss is clearly also, this is also very mad many, right? He also is having his affair and his secretary is basically managing this for him, getting gifts and phone calls and these things. And she makes a comment about his tie. uh, And she Mm -hmm. says, uh, you notice things if you pay attention, which is such like a, you know, this loud thing in the movie where you're like oh he's telling I mean, we've, we've talked a lot about movies teaching you how to watch them he's yeah. telling you like if you pay attention you will notice lots of things um so like th- i mean and this has an obvious echo in um uh chan and chow when they have their conversation and come to the sort of proof realization about the infidelity um but it's also sort of warns you that people might be noticing the two of them. Right. And then we get that hammer scene when her landlady confronts her. Mm-hmm. And it's like, there is this realization that yes, we aren't like, like, like the, 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 the two main actors in the, the two main characters in this movie, they are people who notice things, but they're also living in a world where other people notice things. So they, and they become so aware of the optics of what they're doing, even when what they're doing is at least at that moment, like there's nothing wrong with it. They're, they're having this, you know, play uh, platonic work relationship that is verging on something, but hasn't become something. Well, it's, 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 it, I mean, it, it, this is interesting in several ways, Sam. And first of all, the, the, you notice things, if you pay attention line, uh, which I have bolded on my notes. Um, it's interesting that she says that in response to his tie, and of course, you know, as we already early, earlier talked about how significant her dresses are. So I think he's specifically pointing us in that direction. Um, yeah. So first of all, this, you know, there, there's this whole question about what actually is adultery, right? Is, is adultery simply a physical act or is it an emotional act? So there's a sense in which, yes, it's true. They are not committing adultery and they have to be at the same time aware of the judgment of other people. But on the other hand, they are committing adultery um, because they are committing a kind of emotional adultery. And so when they say we won't be like them, they're talking about physical intimacy, probably. But at the same time, they are sort of being like them. And by the way, Wong Kar Wai did shoot scenes of them. He did shoot a lovemaking scene. Uh, he did shoot a scene where they actually are kind of dancing together. He had a number, uh, he has a whole sequence where they, they are cooking in a hotel, in a hotel room and making food for each other. And it's interesting that he decided to, to cut that out and kind of leave it at the level of these are two people who think it's possible to have a platonic relationship that isn't adulterous because they won't be like them, but in some ways they actually are because otherwise 
the judgment of people around society wouldn't actually make as big a difference as it actually does. Well, well what's interesting, that, and I, I love that he didn't include those things, and I knew some of those were on the extras, and I purposely didn't watch them because, like, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't want that right now. At least yeah. right now, I don't want that. What is interesting, though, is I love the martial arts steer- serial subplot of this oh, because, because yeah. what it means then is like. When they are getting together, it's not like they're just spending time together. They actually also have a creative professional partnership too. You know, he's right. He's a writer. She's functionally a reader editor for him, right? As they're, as they're working on these stories. So you get these beautiful scenes in the hotel room and the intimacy is a, is a creative artistic intimacy too. And we get that beautiful shot and maybe we can talk about mirrors in this movie where it mm-hmm. it's sort of panning back and forth behind mrs chan and you're seeing it looks like the other person is across the table from them but in fact they're both actually next to each other and there's a mirror on the wall mm. but it but it creates all the these images of like well what am i seeing am i seeing them staring at each other or am i seeing them you know sitting side by side working with a mirror in front like that stuff is is so great but i love that there is an outlet for that relationship that isn't just my spouse is having this affair so i'm now flying to you but like but there is there's also another reason for them to be together yeah yeah the, and the mirror the mirrors are terrific because you get doubling and sometimes you get tripling and so you both again you get an image of a film within a film but you also get the image of duplicity you get the image of role playing um and these kind of fractured surfaces and i should also say that one of the things that Wong Kar Wai said about the perspective is you often, you see them in not only in mirrors, but you see them glimpse through curtains, you see them glimpse through windows. And part of what he said is going on is it's almost like he wants you to have the perspective of you're sort of the neighbor kind of looking in on what's what's going on. Uh, and so that's, so, so, so much of what we see of them is kind of mediated through those kind of gauzy uh, or, or constricted uh, viewpoints. Well, that, that's to my point, too, about the you notice things if you pay attention is like he is putting you in the position of somebody who's paying attention to them, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. paying attention to what they're doing, not interacting with them. But like you're putting pieces together of this story. That's why it's so interesting when the landlady confronts her yeah. because you realize, oh, everything you've been doing, she's been doing, mm-hmm. you know, she's been like, OK, I noticed this and I'm going to. Uh, not overtly state what I see, but I'm going to let you know I noticed this. Um, and that leads to, to my mind, one of the most subtle, heartbreaking scenes in this film. Because after that, the landlady, again, which she has done throughout the movie, offers to her, why don't you have dinner with us? Mm. It's the first time she says yes. And then you see a repeat of the Mahjong scene that we saw er- earlier Um which I want to talk about later. Um, But it's like, you see Mrs. Chan is now trapped in this apartment Mm. while they're playing Mahjong. And it's, she's, she's trapped there, but she has also created the trap that she's in because she didn't have to agree to stay for dinner. And and then she, then she goes and ends up looking out the window and there's this kind of longing of like, I don't want to be here, but because of, social expectations marital expectations or at least my sense of them i am here and it's such a painful scene to watch because i'll speak for myself i mean i've been in moments like that where it's like why did i 
get convinced to say yes to this when my heart is breaking because what I want, what I desire is right there. And I could just do that. Yeah. Yeah. And of course the other irony is that, um, whereas what she and, uh, what they are up to is under the scrutiny of the, of, of the neighbor. And yet the spouses are able to carry on, uh, because they're evidently doing it in Japan right, <laughs> or right. wherever they travel to. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think also that moment you, you mentioned, um, Sam, I think that's the moment. Isn't isn't that balanced by him at work also yes. looking out the window? And so you get several scenes like that, you know, most notably the scene where they're both listening to the same pop song uh, and you see she's leaning up against the wall of her apartment and he's leaning up against the wall of his apartment. So the, the, it, it, it's another way in which um, editing enables us to kind of, you know, editing overcomes time, but editing also overcomes space. And so the spatial separation is both accentuated and kind of eliminated by the camera. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and um, there's so many, uh, to, you know, to go back to that, that notion of you notice things if you pay attention. So I, um, you know, talked about the other thing that I find interesting about that line. And this goes back to something I said earlier, it has to do with subtlety, right? Like this movie has all of these subtle things we can point out at the same time. This is a movie where, the director has a character say, you notice things if you pay attention. Like, like that's what I mean by like, at the same time, there are things that are obvious. Now, what's interesting is there are things that are obvious that I miss the first time I watch it because part of it has to do with, with the way time works a little bit. But part of it also has to do with there's so much going on that there's things that it's like, wow, how did I miss that thing right in front of me? Mm. Um so, I mean, for one thing, I think about the quote at the beginning, the, the sort of, you know, line at the beginning, which is, uh, it is a restless moment. She kept her head lowered to give him a chance to come closer, but he could not for lack of courage. She turned and walked away. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, that's the whole story. Like he told us the whole story right there, you know, <laughs> to a certain degree. And it's like, it just blew past me because I didn't know what to make of that. And I can't hold on to everything that's sort of flowing at me. Um, uh, the, the, the slippers are another thing that I think is so, so interesting because I remembered after I watched this the first time this week, I remembered when he's in Singapore and he's going through his room and we get mm-hmm. these scenes out of order mm-hmm. and he's looking for something. And I'm like, and, and as I was watching it again, I thought, what is he looking for? Do they mm-hmm. ever resolve what he's looking for? And I had, I had remembered on my second watch that, that in that great sequence where they get stuck in the bedroom, which is, basically almost like a sitcom plot in the middle Mm -hmm. of this that's played for for no comedy Mm -hmm. um but as she leaves she leaves her slippers there Mm -hmm. and then at the end when we see her at his apartment in singapore she notices the like that is a very obvious and when you when you look at the way he shoots it it's so very obvious i entirely missed that the first Mm -hmm. like the first time through because there's so much going on but the second time i'm like oh that's such a big thing i would say the the big obvious thing that i and maybe that that I missed um, the first time through that the second time be- just became so apparent to me is how early in the movie Chow falls in love with her. Mm-hmm. That in, in, in my first viewing, I was like, oh, you know, eventually they reach this moment where they realize they're in love. But then as I watch it the second time, I'm like, oh, he's almost immediately in love with her. And, 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 and she might be as well. It's harder to tell. She's a lot more... Um, she's a lot more subtle about it. He's actually in some ways, not even that subtle about his, his feelings for her. Um, 
but that didn't jump out at me until a second viewing. And I realized it's way early in the movie that, um, that he's in the mood for love. Okay. So this, this is an introduction to Wong Kar Wai said something about his character that I found very surprising. Um, he said the role of Timmy reminds me of Jimmy Stewart in Vertigo. Mm. He says there's a dark side to this character. Uh, he says, I think it's very interesting. Most of the audience prefers to think this is a very innocent relationship. These are the good guys because their spouses are the first ones to be unfaithful and they refuse to be. Nobody sees any darkness in, the, in these characters. And yet they are meeting in secret to act out fictitious scenarios of confronting their spouses of having an affair. I think this happens because the face of Tony Leung is so sympathetic. Now, I love what he says next. Just imagine if it was John Malkovich playing this role. You would think this guy is really weird. It's the same in Vertigo. Everybody thinks James Stewart is a nice guy, so nobody thinks that his character is actually very sick. I mean, that that's that's a really interesting perspective that we are very sympathetic to him because he's a good-looking guy. And I, I don't think he's nearly as dark as Jimmy Stewart's character in Vertigo. But there is a kind of there, – there's something kind of sick about what they're doing, and yet we mm-hmm. look at it quite – sympathetically maybe because they are so attractive maybe that does have something to do with it well and and i and i do think you know to his point you were so conditioned to seeing like wow the cheating spouses are they've already been established so like it almost feels like so whatever these people do it's like well it wasn't their fault Mm -hmm. because of this other thing where you know i uh, it makes me want to go back and watch the movie and and look at the way he looks at um at mrs chan before they find out about the is like is he already sort of like falling for this person and I'm, I'm, I'm kind well, of curious well you've that. got that well that, that that's where i love the opening of this film where you have the moving in day right mm-hmm. and and there's there's no from what you can from what i can tell there's no there's no chemistry at all i mean so i so i think right. that kind of establishes the fact that there isn't necessarily an initial attraction and it actually right. has to kind of kind of grow there were a couple subtle scenes that i loved that really i feel like you have to watch it a second time to 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 pick up on um so as i, I mentioned the the mahjong scene where she's where you know later in the movie where where mrs chan mm. stays and she goes to the window it's a basically a repeat shot of an earlier scene where her husband is playing mm. mahjong right. Right. and she's sitting by him she gets up and you see another woman mm. leave the room and sort of uh, kind of brush her hand across his back. It didn't occur to me that that is Mr. Chow's wife. Yes. <laughs> and it's yes. like, oh, this is like, this is playing out right there too. But again, in it's, it is a subtle moment that you could, even if you were Mrs. Chan seeing that you could be like, well, that was, that was just, she just was walking by and her hand happened to, but when you watch it knowing you're like, that is such a powerful little moment. It it also it also leads me to point out an obvious thing, but we haven't talked about it, and that is that the spouses exi- that we never see the faces of the mm-hmm. other spouses that they exist either just in shots from the from the back or they're uh, we hear them on the phone, but we never actually see them. Uh, so that kind of uh, reinforces, I guess you could say, the the kind of subjectivity of the of the perspective so that's where i think the you you mentioned the initial intertitle that's where i think the last intertitle is significant right he remembers those vanished years as though looking through a dusty window pane the past is something he could see but not touch and everything he sees is blurred and indistinct so that kind of helps that kind of helps tell us in retrospect that we're looking at, looking at these things very much through the 
through his consciousness uh, in some respects. So it's both, yeah, it's the neighbors looking at it, but at the same time, it's also kind of his his memories that are shaping it. And so it's interesting that from that perspective, we we only see the spouses as almost imagined and not in their own identity. And I think that makes it more that makes that more powerful too, that they're yes. not they are not characters, you know, in this, they're characters around this story, but not in it. I also was wondering at the second time through, it seems like there's a moment where Chow and his wife must have separated. Yes. But it's, a, but like that, that goes unaddressed and unspoken, but all of a sudden he seems more free and he seems mm-hmm, more, mm-hmm. Yep. you know, and then when, by the time he goes to Singapore, you're like, well, I, I don't really know what happened. Like, you know, yeah. and, 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 and I think the second time through, I noticed, you know, when he's talking with uh, Mrs. Chan about, because you won't leave your husband. And I realized oh, but he's already left his wife. So he's like, yeah. I've made my move. Right. This is your right. opportunity. Yeah. Um, the other scene that jumped out at me on second viewing. Um, and what's funny is for, if you, if you see like a lot of the reviews, when they have an image from this movie, there's one particular image mm-hmm. and it's from this scene and it is, an earlier visit to that red hotel mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it's in the hallway and it, um, and it appears And this is where, where I was thinking about how early he's fallen in love with her. And I don't know about where she's at. Like, I, I mean, I, I, I'm reading that as he brought her here and I could, this could be a misread. He brought her here and she walks away. So it's mm-hmm. like, like he's sort of ready to accelerate this. And she, mm-hmm. she is not, um, but that that moment happens so fast in the movie and you we haven't been introduced to that space yet so it's not a meaningful space that hallway's not a meaningful space but when i rewatched the movie i knew what that place was and i thought well that's interesting that this is if this is linear this is happening much earlier than we're introduced to the you know him getting the writing room in the hotel I think actually that that's a big question. Is, is is it linear? I think it's still hard to figure out sometimes where we are chronologically. Because again, that's the way memory works, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you you jumble the order of things. And well, I think- and that's what that, yeah, that's what's so great about in Singapore when he does that out of order mm-hmm. because it makes you question everything. It makes yes. you like, well, okay, did this happen the way we see it? Did this happen in the order in you know at the at the pace that uh, the pace that we saw it. Um, do you have other things you want to talk about with this movie? Obviously, I want to talk about the ending and some of the other things, but yeah, before we talk about the ending, I just want to I I, I want to talk just uh, about a um uh one of the techniques we haven't mentioned, which is his occasional and strategic use of slow motion. Mm. Um, you know, it's it's not it's subtle and it's it's not extended, but it's I think it's again it's part of um reflecting how memory works. So this is a moment in time that is so significant that time literally slows down in the memory and for the viewer. So I really like the way he he uses that. It's it could be a cheesy technique, but I think the way he uses it, it's very it's very subtle and and kind of well timed. And I would love to watch the film again and just note which scenes are in slow mo and how does that play. Well, and it's interesting because when I think about slow motion, the thing that jumps out at me is watching. Um, Mrs. Chan walk to the noodle shop in slow yes. motion because we also that's where we're getting the uh Yumji's Yum theme playing. And this <laughs> this is the other song I think we need to talk about because this is a major piece of this. Yes. But what's interesting is that shot is also like 
at one level, it's not a significant moment. She's just walking to the noodle shop, but that's the kind of thing you would remember in that slow motion sort of way. You would remember her walk. You would remember. Yeah. And, and the noodle shop walking the noodle shop is a really important, uh, social marker. Because one of the things that uh, that uh, Wong Kar Wai is interested in, again, is capturing 1962. In 1962, people couldn't do instant ramen in their houses. And so they had to go to the noodle shop. And you also see in 1962, the introduction of this exotic rice cooker, mm-hmm. which really changes everybody's uh, social routine. And he also noted that something that audiences outside of Hong Kong would not know. And that is if they are saying they're eating a particular food, then you know what time of year it is because it's only available at that particular time of year. So to me, that's the other reason why the noodle shop is so important because it really locates the film, uh, the time frame really specifically for him. Well, I will also say this movie is very sensory and uh, I guess taste can't really come through in a movie, but man, you, watching them eat that steak dinner, watching them eat oh. the noodles, watching them eat the rice, mm. uh, it just makes me it makes me want to go get that exact meal. <laughs> um, so I was thinking about uh, Yumji's theme. I was and mm. I was listening to it this morning. Um, and what I'm going to say is really stupid because I don't know much about music, but I was interested in like how perfect that that music is because it you know, it has this sort of like little tune out thing and it feels like you're like taking these steps. Right. And it just as the relationship takes steps or these two people slowly getting drawn together. And then it has like these sort of longing strings over it's, it's perfect for this, but I was thinking about those two notes and this sort of sense of like movement. And I was thinking about the jaws theme, which is also two notes, which, yes. which denotes a kind of movement. And I thought it's so interesting. We watch these two back to back because I feel like there's almost this degree to which I mean, they don't function in the same way, but they function in this kind of way that when you're, whenever I hear that, I all, every time the two notes go, I find myself almost like leaning in a little bit closer to the screen. Like it, it has a, I have a, this like physical response to that. Um, it's just kind of amazing. It's, it's such a perfect piece of music. Yeah. It's actually in the genre of a, of a sad waltz. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a waltz, it's a dance, but it's sad at the same time. I, I I'm really, really glad you brought up Spielberg because I also want to point out that what I was saying earlier about um, the difference between shooting in Hong Kong and Bangkok that's kind of his version of the mechanical shark, shark malfunctioning. And that is he had to shoot all the Hong Kong scenes as interiors because it didn't look like Hong Kong outside. That's why there's no establishing shots. And then when he goes to Bangkok, he's able to use the exterior. So that he's working with some of the same kind of formal constraints that Spielberg worked with and turning them to an advantage. I just think that's a sign of a great filmmaker. Absolutely. So let's talk about the end of this movie yeah. in Singapore. We we haven't mentioned Ping, um, uh, Chow's friend, but uh, they have this conversation, and 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 Chow is telling Ping about like what they used to do with secrets in the with their secrets in the old days that they would go up into the hills and carve a hole in a tree and they would whisper their secrets in and cover it up with mud. Um, so we get that, and then um, and then we get this amazing. Oh, is we we get we get uh, Chan's visit to him where they um miss each other mm-hmm. uh and that's that phone call where mm-hmm. you know and again that that's like the inversion of that opening title right like like he's leaning in to listen and she has this moment but doesn't say anything right so they miss yeah. each other there and then we go back to hong kong in 66 i think mm-hmm. um yeah. and uh 
she moves into the old apartment alone, except for her son. And if you think about the age of that son, uh-huh, you think, okay, uh-huh. you know, uh-huh. we don't, but that's not addressed. And then we have, um, we have Chow going to also visit his neighbor in the same way. The movie opens with them happening to show up at, you know, in this place, he, he shows up there again. And there's this moment, just like with the phone call where he almost knocks on the neighbors on, on, um, what would be chance door at that moment at that time and doesn't and there's this sense of like you know their their paths come so close to crossing Mm -hmm. again like and what happens if he knocks there what happens Mm -hmm. what is that Mm -hmm. conversation um and then that leads to the final scene in in um in cambodia where he uh you know at the 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 angkor wat temple Mm. we see him finding a hole whisper his secrets in, covers it up and what's interesting is even there he's being watched Mm-hmm. Right, that we have this uh, this monk sitting up on the temple, and it's and it's clearly you know we see the long shot of him whispering his secrets, and we're seeing it, you know, we see the the back of the head of the monk looking down on him. Yeah, I love that. I love that mo- that moment because, um, well, it's interesting because before that you get the archival footage of De Gaulle's visit to Cambodia, mm-hmm. and one of the reasons why France as a colonial power was interested in Cambodia actually goes back to the, to the 19th century and the discovery of Angkor Wat. And the French were very interested in excavating it and kind of protecting it. So France has always had a stake in Cambodia because of Angkor Wat. So, so for, so one thing you get then is this opening up into history and you get that in Hong Kong in 66 because um, the folks are moving out because there are uh, demonstrations in Hong Kong in response to what's going on in mainland China. So it's like it's like he gives you this gradually expanding um, historical perspective. Uh, so you're moving out of this very kind of restricted world of the relationship between these two lovers in a very specific place and time. And now you get, well, it's, just, it's not just Hong Kong in 66, it's Cambodia, but then uh, and France, but now it's Angkor Wat, and it's like truly subspecies eternitatis. This is this is life under the aspect of eternity, and it just it, it it's it just kind of completely changes the frame of the film. So you both have this very kind of intimate story, and yet you have the story which is from the perspective of the eternal. Mm-hmm. Um, it's 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 an amazing move. Well, and that's why, I mean, you know, I, I think I said this earlier, but like, there's all this attention to specificity and the specific makes it feel universal, right? Yeah, because, yeah. because although my specifics don't match these specifics, they are specific. So that mm-hmm. speaks to this. I mean, I clearly, uh, if nothing else comes out of this, I resonate with this movie in lots <laughs> and lots of ways. And um, yeah, so, so I, I sort of love that idea of like pulling back to this timeless eternal you know eternal sense of this um what a great movie yes. <laughs> anything else before we move before we move on to next week anything else you want to say about this film i don't think so all right yeah <laughs> I think I've basically said. go watch in the mood for love yeah, if you've exactly. never seen it watch it if you've seen it watch it again this is a movie uh this movie got real high for me this is number five on the sight and sound list mm-hmm. um this time around so it went from 24 to 5 it deserves that place. It's, yeah. it's just a remarkable, remarkable movie. I will. Um, I can't wait to watch this with my wife, to watch this with my daughter, just to be like, this one's great. You just have to take this one in. I can't wait to see it again. What do you have for us for next week? Oh, Sam, I'm so torn. There's so many directions I want to go next week because um, even though I said we were going to work on the sight and sound list, I just feel like we have to go back to at least one of the influences on this film. 
Uh, it's one of the filmmakers. It's on the Sight and Sound list with two other films. But the one I want to go to is, is Robert Brisson's Pickpocket. Um, Wong Kar Wai mentioned it specifically as an influence on In the Mood for Love um, and specifically in his use of close-ups on faces. Some critics have gone back, of course, every time you talk about close-ups on faces, you go back to Dreyer and Passion of Joan of Arc. But I think the connection to Brisson, uh, as I said, Brisson has two other films on the site and sound list, which are also great. But I've always loved Pickpocket, and I think it works really, really well with this. Uh, I also love, um, I love very economical films. Pickpocket is only 73 minutes. Uh, and anyway, so that's what we're going to do with black and white 19. I believe it's 56. I didn't double check. I think it's 56. Fantastic. I have never seen this movie. I've never seen a Brisson movie, so I'm so excited. Wow. Barrett, thank you so much for recommending this movie this week. This movie has become one of my favorite films. So, uh, thank you so much for that. That is all the time that we have, but we will be back next week to talk about pickpocket in the videos. (laughs) 